Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, and the pet experts are in the building. And it's time for the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. Now, your hosts, Lee Cohen and Rick Preetz. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Bruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. Rick, I will tell you, I never, ever fail to be amazed at the generosity of the people in this town, you know? Well, what are you referring to, Lee? I was visiting one of our sponsors, the folks at Invisible Fence Mid-State. Okay. And they were telling me the story of evidently they found out that one of the local fire departments did not have oxygen masks and something happened Hmm. and what do you think they went out and did well they probably provided them with those oxygen masks (laughs) as 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 they've been so responsible in doing i mean it's it's a concept that's been completely ignored if it wasn't for invisible fence and Invisible Fence is right on it, I'm sure. Well, it was just, it was a wonderful story because I was in talking to the owner, Don Brand, and Kim, the office manager, came running in, and there's a story behind the whole thing because Kim was someone who, back in the 90s, in a fire, lost one of her dogs. And so bottom line is she has been sensitive to fires and dog safety ever since then. And she was really one of the driving forces behind the local franchise here being involved and active with it. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were plugged in because it was a national program. But at the same time, I just love the idea that people like her are doing things like this. And I've asked her within the next couple of weeks to come in and describe what they did and why. But I just, like I said, it never fails to amaze me yeah, when it comes to taking care of animals, how generous the people are. On on another note, uh, our guests today are certainly in that same vein. Uh, we've got John, John Dynan in, and uh, I'm really uh, excited to get him on. More importantly, where would we, we be without Ingham County Animal Control? I mean, it really is the public entity that really makes sure that our population, it's that and the Humane Society, are the two institutions that we really have something to be proud of because we have two very good ones. And you couldn't always have said that in my many years of living. Uh, I've lived in other communities and even in this community, and it's come a long ways, baby. No question. In the last decade, we have been blessed with the leadership that we've had here. And the reason why we wanted to have John in is we want to explore a topic that we've delved into before, but we really haven't gotten into the depth of dog biting and how to prevent it. And frankly, that's an important topic because when you think about it, to own an animal, you have responsibilities to care for them, to keep them healthy, to keep them safe, but you also have a responsibility to prevent those animals from hurting other people, and there's work that goes into that. Yeah, because you certainly can't uh, blame the innocent. When you have a young child that comes up to a dog, and that dog hasn't been around young children, you know, that young child didn't mean any harm to the dog, but the dog doesn't know that and has never seen those fast movements or grabbing of the hair or... You see a number of these situations on the internet, 
and good things happen typically when you see them on the internet. But that same scenario where you see the kid pulling on the whiskers and whatnot, with the wrong dog, that can kind of precipitate a problem. And with the Ingham County Animal Control, their approach to that is figuring out a legal solution to that problem if it happens to be a neighbor. Right. Well, I'm also going to be curious to ask John a little bit about uh, breed-specific biting, if there is any additional, some breeds. And Rick, our other guest today is going to be Don Pizzaverato, who is the owner of Arrow Dog Training, and she runs her classes out of Annabelle's Pet Station in downtown Lansing. And Don has been a guest on our show many times and is a big, big believer in a variety of forms of training, including clicker training. And she's going to be on to give people some advice about especially how to get your puppy socialized and going pretty early and pretty much what not to do in terms of forming bad impressions with these animals so that it stops. Well, we're going to learn how to keep our dogs from hurting others as well as keeping them safe this week on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. The Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio. 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and Rick, we have with us a returning guest in the studio, our old friend John Dinan, the Executive Director from the Ingham County Animal Control. Welcome back to the show, John. Lee and Rick, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. The reason we wanted to, before we get into the great events that you've got coming up, including one here in March, uh, we wanted to talk about kind of the theme of today's show. We've been talking talking a little bit about breeds and and preventing dog bites because there are just certain breeds that people look at them and get very fearful and talk a little bit about your experience in terms of should people be concerned about it and how do they go about preventing their dogs from biting people Well, I'll tell you, people definitely should be concerned about dog bites. Uh, We're the agency that enforces the quarantines and investigates dog bites. And uh, I'll tell you, with the warm spring that we've had, uh, although we don't have a huge number of animals at the shelter yet, spring has sprung as far as outdoor activity and dog bites. We've had quite a few already this year. And really what it comes down to, like most things, is common sense and personal responsibility. And if you are a dog owner, uh, under the law, you are responsible to have your dog under control and keep keep it from biting people. Mm -hmm. That means it needs to be on your property, or if you're off your property, it needs to be under your control, uh, which if you are a great trainer, I could say maybe by voice commands, but for the other 99.9% of us in the world, I would say that means on on a short leash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other side of it, and I'll talk more about that side, but the other side of it is as a citizen, particularly as a parent, you have an obligation to educate yourself and educate your children about safety around dogs. So let me start first as the owner. As I said, it is your responsibility to keep your dog from biting people. Now, if someone is breaking into your home and your dog bites them, that's a different situation. But if someone is legally on your property, including the mailman, the delivery man, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Girl Scout cookie sales girl, uh, or if you are in a public place, you are the one responsible to keep your dog from biting somebody. So. Train your dog, keep it under control. So, and the, the, the main key is train them and socialize them. 
your your officials go out um, uh, to enforce this. What do you see out there? What what's the what's a normal scenario for which you have to enforce rules associated with dog biting? What's what's the typical and, 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 and asking that, it's like, where do we go from here and what can we do to prevent yeah. those type of things? Well, the two ways we find out about dog bites or is if someone goes and seeks medical attention for a dog bite, then the medical facility contacts us as the agency responsible for, mm-hmm. for dog bites. Or if someone is bitten and calls us and say, hey, my neighbor's dog bit me. Either way, we'll go out and, and respond. And really, I, I don't know that there's necessarily a typical scenario Frequently, it is a family member who's bitten by the family dog or a visitor to the home, uh, and those are the ones that we usually get through the through the ER because people generally don't call us when their own dog bites right, them. Right. Um, but we do also get unprovoked attack out, attacks out on the street. So there are there's a real variety of uh, of situations. But I think the common denominator is uh, a lack of common sense and a lack of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. So. The typical dog bite that occurs in a home, uh, well, let's start out with the obvious, an untrained or unsocialized dog. Uh, the, you know, the biggest factors in dog bites are animals that are untrained, animals that are unsocialized, animals that are tethered, that are kept in the backyard on a chain mm-hmm. and aren't, aren't in the house and socialized, or animals that are victims of cruelty or abuse. Those are the dogs that bite people. Okay. Um, so what generally happens is either the dogs are not being cared for well or... A very unusual situation to the dog occurs in that home. I have three dogs at home. They're great dogs. I don't worry about them at all, but I don't have any kids. When children come to my home, I have to have my antenna up. I have to be paying attention because my Mm -hmm. dogs are not used to young children. So I have to keep a special eye on the dogs, and I have to talk to the children about what's appropriate behavior. So I have to take responsibility to make sure that my dogs aren't going to bite someone. Um, I have a little chihuahua who's a fear biter, and he gets a little nippy. So mm-hmm. uh, the big German shepherd and the big cattle dog, I don't worry about them so right. much. But the little guy, uh, you know, I'll pick him up. I will introduce him to the child. I'll talk to him about, hey, this is Mikey. He's a little fearful, and and make sure they get off on a good foot before I, I let them play together. So. And talk about the quarantine procedure. You, you, you find that there is a bite. It's broken skin. Is that right there? Uh, reasons or grounds for which you would then hold on to the dog for a certain period of time? Well, we can either do a quarantine in the home if we believe the owner is going to be compliant with the quarantine restrictions, or we can take the animal to the shelter and quarantine it. And it's really a judgment call that the animal control officers make. But either way, the dog is observed for 10 days for any signs of rabies. If there's no uh, visible signs, then we sign off and and Mm -hmm. they're the quarantine ends. And it's, it's a pretty routine thing. We do it pretty frequently. I would say probably 80% of them we do in the home and maybe 20% we do at the shelter. Is is there any other part to that protocol or is is that the only step well, when the, the something an, happens? The animals need to be uh, confined to the owner's home and not allowed to have access. With, they're not allowed to be taken out in public. And if there's any signs of any disease, they need to contact us. And then the officers will do periodic checks throughout the quarantine a final check, and then do the release. Are the cita- are citations given at that point, or we, what do you make a decision as to whether they get a ticket or not? Uh, again, looking at the totality of the situation, uh, was the bite the responsibility of the owner? Uh, was it the responsibility of the person who was bitten? Does the person who was bitten 
want us to press charges. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't always, if somebody says, I don't want to press charges, but we know this is a mean dog that we need to start a process of of prevention, we will write a ticket. So it's really Mm -hmm. the officer's judgment call. It's like when you get pulled over for speeding, the officer is going to look at the totality of the situation, make a decision whether or not to write you a a citation. Um, then unfortunately, the, the other way to check for rabies besides doing a quarantine is to do a, a rabies virus test. And the only way you can do that is to get brain tissue, which means that the dog would have to be euthanized and decapitated. And we don't like to do that. Sometimes it does have to happen. But, uh, you know, that is in a situation where this is a dangerous dog that we've had to seize because of a serious attack or because the owner just will not take steps to prevent an additional bite. And we take the animal, find it to be unhandleable, unhandleable, and and need to get a rabies test. And it's right. unsafe for us to do the quarantine. I got you. And in your terms here or at other places, do positive rabies show up? I have never had a positive rabies. And, show and up, it's just the so. severity of the whole situation yeah. Yeah. that that causes that. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because we spend a lot of time and effort dealing with rabies. In order, your dog has to be licensed under the law in order. For your dog to be licensed, it has to be rabies vaccinated. If someone's bitten, we do a rabies quarantine. Uh, in certain situations, we, we advise people to get rabies vaccines, post-exposure rabies vaccines for themselves. And everybody says, what's the big deal? Nobody ever gets rabies. Well, the big deal is nobody you, ever gets rabies because, because we do all of these important <laughs> yeah, things. Exactly. And, and yeah. if you do get rabies, uh, you're done for. Right. It's yeah, and it's not that hundred percent fatal. I remember sitting on a uh, advisory board for the state, and it's not that there aren't rabies issues in the state, but it just doesn't commonly show up in the dog population. Correct. There is uh, rabies in wildlife raccoons, in the state, raccoons imagine. and bats, and yeah. yeah. So the surveillance is important. The monitoring is important, and. You know, the preventative vaccines in dogs is very important. Mm-hmm. Whenever I talk about rabies, I always remember watching the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. And there's a great scene in there where a rabid dog comes to town and people just panic. And back in the old days, that's how it was. When rabies was around and a rabid dog would come, people would go in their house and shut the door and hope somebody went out there and dealt with it. Well, because well, if you got bitten, you were done. Well, it's it's funny you say that because that actually... Uh, transitions me to where I wanted to go with my question, which is the fear and the panic people have of certain kinds of dogs. Because the truth is, you were mentioning that the big dogs I don't worry about, but the little tiny chihuahua, that's the one that could bite. And yet here in town, whenever anyone sees, forgive me for saying it, a pit bull or a bully breed, it's as if they're automatically going to be. Now, I would imagine from a percentage standpoint, because they're the largest percentage of dogs, they would be the most likely to bite just by virtue of that. But in your experience, is there anything to the breed versus the likelihood of biting? No. Um, well, I think there are some dogs that are more like some breeds that are more likely to bite. And in my experience, they're small dogs that are fear biters. And and um I I am not at all a proponent of breed-specific legislation or breed profiling. Uh, You know, like I said, the factors in dog bites are dogs that aren't trained, dogs that aren't socialized, dogs that are abused, dogs that are tethered. And the one that I didn't mention is dogs that are trained to be guard dogs or attack dogs. And um, 
you know, like you said, the, the majority of the dogs that we get in at Ingham County, County Animal Control are pit bulls or pit bull mixes. And, and, you know, that's not even a real breed. We'll, we'll call them bullies, short, stocky dogs with big heads, you right. know, American Staffordshire Terriers, Staffordshire Bull Terriers, uh, and their crosses, what everyone calls pit bulls. For the most part, they are just the sweetest dogs in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. we do the same temperament test for the bullies as we do for any other dog. Uh, we evaluate them exactly the same, and we put them up for adoption, and they are, they're just great dogs. What um, percentage of ownership it would, in Lansing, be char- characterized as a bully breed? I mean, what what is the percentage? Is it... In the in the teens, in the twenties, in the thirties. Oh, I, I would say in the city of Lansing, it's probably near half. Near would half, be my guess, right. and that's a pretty unscientific thing. But from my observation right. Um, right. of what we see, and you know, in England, they used to call them the nanny dogs because they're so loyal and so good with kids, and mm-hmm. and you know, they can be great dogs. Now let's let's take a step back to dogs that aren't trained well, or are trained to be aggressive, or are not socialized. The problem with pit bulls is they are extremely athletic dogs, and they're very strong, and Mm -hmm. they have those big blocky heads that mean they have a lot of jaw muscle. So when they do bite you, it can be very, very severe. You know, you're more likely to be bitten by a chihuahua, but... You're sure not going to be. It'd be tough to be injured severely by a chihuahua. But you know, if you oh, get it hurt. I'm sure it hurts it, it, at the it moment hurts. of the bite. But, you know, if you get into a big dog like a, a pit bull or a rottweiler or a, you know a great dane or a german shepherd, you know that that can be very severe. So sure, I think people have a good reason to be nervous of dogs that they don't know until they know them. Use common sense. You know, use learn how to read dogs' body language if you're going to be around them. Don't approach dogs you don't know. Talk to the owner and find out about their dog. And certainly you don't want to be bitten by any dog, but less by a big dog than by a small dog. (laughs) I think that's good advice. We're talking this morning with John Dynan, who is the executive director of the Ingham County Animal Control. And John, uh, let's change the topic a little bit because dog biting isn't fun and soirees are. And you're going to have one. So let's talk about what is the soiree you've got coming up here a little later in March? Well, the, the Ingham County Animal Control, as you guys well know, is the county animal control department and so we get a county budget which pays for basic animal care law enforcement you know the things that are kind of the nuts and bolts of what we do but society and this community much to their benefit has said hey that's not enough we want you to take great care of the animals we want you to patch up the animals that come into you in bad shape we want you to have a robust adoption program and, and we do want a to lot of things above and beyond investigate above and beyond what you can afford to do absolutely so we raise quite a bit of money for our department through both the department and through the Ingham County Animal Shelter Fund, which is our associated 501c3 charity. So every year, in addition to uh, sending out some mailing appeals, we do some events. And our biggest fundraiser of the year is the Save a Life Soiree, which is put on by the Animal Shelter Fund and the department. This year, it is March 25th, uh, runs from 6 to 11 p.m. at the Kellogg Center. And it's just a great party for a great cause. There will be music and good food, and we'll have some cocktails and uh, We'll have a live and silent auction, and there are going to be some great announcements about the changes that are happening in the department with the millage funding, with the progress on the new shelter, and uh, some changes to our services. So it's just a good time to come out, meet other animal lovers, meet the folks who work at the shelter, learn about what's going on with the department, and most importantly, 
uh, help provide funds to help us do more for the animals than we would be able to do otherwise. For people who are interested in reserving a spot there, how do they go about doing that? Uh, you can go to our Facebook page or our website. Either way, just Google Ingham County Animal Control and it'll get you to either or the Ingham County Animal Shelter Fund. And there are links to the, uh, the QGIB page where you can reserve tickets uh, for the event. And do you recommend that they reserve them in advance? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, if you buy before, it's the 25th. If you buy before the 17th, the tickets are $60, and on the 17th, they go up to $75. So, number one, we want to have a good head count of who's coming, and also it's less expensive if you buy it ahead. So, please, please, please go to the Animal Control website or our Facebook page and reserve your tickets for the soiree because it's going to be a great time. Again, March 25th at the Kellogg Center. Fantastic. We've been speaking this morning with John Dynan from the Ingham County Animal Control. John, thanks as always for everything you do. My pleasure. I uh, love you guys' show, and thanks for the opportunity to come in here and talk to you. Our pleasure. And, Rick, after the break, we're going to talk about training some of these dogs with an excellent local trainer right here on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Whenever their iPhones ring, you're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Rick Cruz and Lee Cohen on 1320 WILS. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us as a returning guest on the line, Don Pizzaferrato, who is the owner of a dog training company here in town, the Arrow Dog Training Company, and she operates out of Annabelle's Pet Station in downtown Lansing. Welcome back to the show, Don. Hi, Lee. Hi, Rick. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We appreciate your uh, jumping in on the topic and uh, really standing in. Uh, What we've been talking about today, Don, is the issue of preventing dog bites because, unfortunately, sometimes that can happen, and, boy, it can be a problem not just for the bitee but also for the biter (laughs) in a number of ways. So uh, I guess my first question for you is if I get a dog, Don, what's the first thing I should do to keep them under control and keep them from dipping those jaws where they don't belong? Okay. Well, I'm. Um, I, that's a great question. And, you know, every dog is an individual and different. But generally speaking, it's going to be training and socialization. Um, I, we often see dog bites coming from dogs that have been isolated and, um, and not socialized properly. So, so that's the number thing. Yeah. Now, at what age is that something that you should jump into when it comes to getting the socializing uh, going? At, when should you start with a puppy? Is this something you should do immediately or should you wait a few months? Talk with me about that. Yes, absolutely. Um, this is why in my puppy uh, dog training class, I actually have a drop-in option so that people don't have to wait to start bringing their puppy into a class. Um, they, can, they can do it immediately. So um, as soon as your puppy, you know, is away from mom, is the time to start socializing them. During that first eight to, uh, specifically eight to 15 weeks generally is what we call the socialization period for puppies. That's when they are most open to new experiences. 
Um, you do have to be careful because it is also their fear imprint period, meaning if something dramatically frightens them, it, it can have a lifetime impact for them. Um, so we always tell people, get your puppy out, take them to safe places where they can um, safely interact and learn about different things in the world. I, I provide my students with what I call a puppy scavenger hunt. Um, it's kind of a list of things that you may not think of that you should um, expose your puppy to. And I've always, um, when exposing puppies to new things, take it slow, let them approach uh, on their own terms and allow them to interact um, freely. But if something is frightening to, you know, not force them into interacting with it. G- give, so. us a, give us a couple of examples of, you know, frightful things from the the looking upward view of a little puppy. <laughs> yes. Um, um, just people in general, um, people that wear different clothing, um, people that have beards, Rick, <laughs> yep. people that wear hats, people that wear sunglasses, um, yeah. people in uniform. Uh-huh. Um, so big people and small people, um, children. Um, other things would be... Um, Things in their environment like medical equipment, wheelchairs, skateboards, bicycles, um, things that move unexpectedly, um, different floor surfaces. Um, yeah. Well, well, that, where I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. What? How does one? <laughs> how does one go from point A to point B? Point A being it sounds like everything in the world is a bit frightful, and point B is I've got a dog that. You know, he's comfortable, he's walking around and not being spooked by everything around him. Right. So you have to um, you have to expose the puppies. You have to remember, um, exposure is not socialization. You have to expose them to things that are new. But like I said, at the same time, you have to make it a positive experience. So if they're kind of backing away from something and not sure about it, just back away with them. Give them some space and some time don't necessarily want to remove them from the thing that's um, frightening them because you don't want to um, teach them that just running away is okay. Move them away. Allow them the space to be able to come become comfortable with that thing. And um, if they want to move forward, you can always allow them to move forward and reward any forward movement that they make towards something that's, that's frightening. There's a little bit of counter-conditioning going there. It's like, whoa, that's scary. And then, oh, let me check it out. And, oh, actually, I get a treat for moving forward. Yeah. That's a cool thing. Let me continue to go forward then. Okay, that makes sense. Um, now, is there maybe a place that you think of that people take puppies to that they really should think twice about? And is there places out there for which they should take them to that they may not think of? Um, good question, right? Um, number one thought that came to my mind when you said that, dog park. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> that would be the obvious that. choice, too, right? Is that because the herding dogs are going to uh, potentially cause that puppy some concern? Well, there's all kinds of surprising, you know, if the dog's yeah. left running around, who knows what's going to come up on the back side of them because these are dogs that aren't under any kind of control, right? Yes, there's no control of the environment. So you, this, is, this is the point. You want to expose your puppy to places that you can control what's happening, okay? 
So a dog park, you cannot control what's happening. And within split second, things can go south pretty fast, right? So um, they can get inundated by other dogs, um, you know, who just want to explore them. But it's, it's a, you know, it's a frightening experience. That's why smaller groups of unknown dogs at be- in the beginning, you know, so you can have control over, over what they experience. Um, other puppies, of course, because other puppies are less likely to um, care about what, yeah. what what puppies doing to them, so they yeah. can kind of freely play. At the same time, I think it's a good, a good idea to put puppies um, after a certain age when they're you know very physical. It's a good idea to put them with a known adult dog, um, where you can trust that adult dog because that adult dog is is generally going to um, correct some what might be considered bad puppy behavior. And let the puppy kind of understand what's expected of a more grown-up dog. Um, that's why generally puppy classes are fantastic because yeah. they get both um, new new experiences, but in a controlled environment. Yeah, I would think um, I, I would I would certainly think that it's kind of like just a puppy playmate opportunity. Like, hey, let's all get together with puppies. And oh, by the way, there's actually a a controlled structured approach to also breaking down some barriers. Is that fair enough as to what goes on in a puppy class? Absolutely. And we, you know, it's interesting because the first night of classes, all the puppies are kind of a little concerned. Some are wary. Some are just, you know, just outgoing and ready to explore everything. And, you know, we, we, I would tell people, don't worry if your puppy is nervous and, you know, sits beside you and under your legs or under your chair, um, normal. And what you're going to see is your puppy's going to gradually get more and more used to this environment, more and more used to the other dogs and other people in the environment. And they're going to start to open up, and inevitably next week that puppy is out playing and, and you know, doing doing all the normal puppy um, behaviors that we see. I, I think um, the, I, the one thing I'm thinking that listeners might want to think about, and we didn't talk about it on this specific show, is the ramification of one of those, like, over-the-top experiences and how it imprints on a dog? Sure. Um, generally speaking, there's always it's a pretty good chance that your puppy's going to get frightened by something out in the world. Um, and I always tell people, so when something like that happens, something frightening happens or something scary or another puppy, you know, jumps on them and, you know, knocks them over or something, the main thing to do is just allow your puppy to um, kind of, you know, back up and move away. Again, giving space is always a good thing with any, with any dog who's, who's showing any fear. Give them some space. Um, make them feel comfortable. And just kind of wait it out with them. I always try to tell people you can leave the environment if you want to give your dog just a little bit of a, you know, a break. Go outside, take a little potty break, and try to come back in. And try to have a positive experience with that puppy before they leave the environment completely. So uh, let's say that. Left. Well, let's say that doesn't happen. Let's say whether it's that you've uh, adopted a dog with an incident like this, or out of well, uh, you know, I think I'd like to explore the conversation specifically that what is the ramification like? What's the you know we have these dogs that do have um, issues that have been established and I'd like to at least come back after the uh, break and and talk a little bit about 
how does that manifest itself? Does that just disappear after a little while, or is that something that needs to be trained out? So, Well, then we'll talk about that and some other questions. We're talking with Don Pizzaferrato from the Arrow Dog Training Company, and she teaches at Annabelle's Pet Station in downtown Lansing. And we'll continue the conversation right after the break on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Thirteen twenty WILS and the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Now back to Rick Prus and Lee Cohen. We're back here with the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning all about dog training and keeping dogs from biting. And the, our guest on the line is Don Pisaferrato, who is the owner of Arrow Dog Training, and she teaches at Annabelle's Pet Station in downtown Lansing. And Don, Rick had a question before the break. Rick, why don't you finish with that line of thought? Well, it's just simply this: you you are doing a good job of explaining to us how not to create a dog with an issue, but describe the issue. What is it, if we don't do those type of things, what's the consequence of it? Well, the consequence of it is a deep-set fear. Yeah, that's and, what I was... Yeah. And what generally, is that? when you see a dog being what we call aggressive, and I often call it... I often call it active as opposed to aggression because it's not really aggression until they actually act, act out on it in a in a um, inappropriate way. Um, it's generally because they are fearful of something. It's not because they want to be mean. They just want us to back off and um, let them go on with their lives. So they're scared of something. Um, so they have this deep instinct of flight or fight. So when a dog is scared of something, they will generally flee. They will run away. Um, and if they can't run away, if they're cornered, they will fight back. So um, they also are very protective of things that they care about, whether uh-huh. it's a territory or a certain person, that they become fearful for that situation. They get fearful for others as well as themselves. Well, um, well, and Don, that leads me to the question that what happens if it's a situation where a dog who has real ball drive, if you try and take its ball from it and it growls at you, is that a sign of I'm angry and watch out for these teeth? Or is that more of it's my ball and don't you touch it? Um, well, those are basically the same thing. <laughs> they can sometimes just be, it's my ball, don't touch it, and, and I'm angry that you're trying to take it, okay? Right. Um, but so could it also be playing? It can be played. Vocalization varies from dog to dog. There's a lot of dogs that all you have to do is spend a day at doggy daycare at Annabelle, and you can, you can see that there's a lot of times that dogs will growl during play, and yes. they bark and snarl, and they do lots of really... Uh, crazy things, but generally speaking, um, when I when I have you know a puppy that growls or a dog that growls at me, I respect that communication that they're giving me. Giving me, they're saying, 
I'm not comfortable with whatever it is that you're doing, whether I'm moving towards them or I'm looking at them or um, I'm trying to touch them. And I back off immediately. So I, I tell them I, I've heard you. Um, I respect what your the, the emotion behind that communication is. And I'm going to back off. And I, at that point, I would try to counter condition them, meaning every time they looked at me, I would have somebody click and treat them um, so that they start going, oh, every time I look at that lady, I get, a, I get a reward. This is interesting. And what we find is they start to relax because now that thing that was become fearful now becomes something um, to a, their benefit at that point. Gotcha. Um, so Robin, because they have something that they desire, uh, pretty normal dog behavior. Dogs will often um, growl with um, when you try to take something of great value from them, and rightfully so. Um, quite frankly, people will tend to growl when somebody continually tries to take something of great value from them as well. Um, so it's something we, we generally understand. We just don't it, we don't think that it's okay for our dogs to do it. Yeah, so I, I try to encourage owners to trade. When they're going to, um, when they want something from their dog, but if you're giving your dog something like a bone, I tell them to uh, to the thing to do in a crate. Allow them to be alone with their bone. If you want them to come, if you want them to be done with the bone, you get the dog to leave the bone. Don't try to take the ball, the bone away from the dog. Oh, gotcha. They well, really do it. They don't. They don't worry about you approaching if you're not going to take things away from them. Yeah, I was just wondering. Uh, my dog has an interesting behavior when I come home. He'll actually, my dog's name is Rocco, and I love Rocco. Uh, mm-hmm. He, when I come home, there's the, you know, the long cloth snake or alligator or whatever that he's got in his little playground area. Mm-hmm. And he grabs that, drags it over, and leaves it by my feet, wants me to grab it. And when we're, we're playing with it, he's growling as he's pulling on it, but it's as if he's having a good time at the same time. It's as if it's like a play growl. Do you just decipher the difference between one and another over time, and and or or is there anything wrong in having that when you know it's a trusted situation and he actually enjoys it? Right, that's a play growl. You really have to understand that vocalizations um, are. You have to look at body language as well yeah. because um, dogs don't generally um, they communicate more in body language than they do in vocalization. So. Um, if your dog is all wiggly and loose and, you know, just um, you can tell their, walk, yeah. their body is loose and wiggly and they're growling, that's just a, a play growl. And they're just saying, you know, they're just saying, I'm happy to see you. Let's play. It's a dog that um, stiff, um, either really super low tail or a super high tail. Um, and they're, you know, either they're crouch back and away from you and very low to the ground and they growl, that's totally fear. I'm really super scared. Please don't hurt me. I'm going to growl to keep you away. And then there's the, you know, rushing forward and, and you know, ears perked and tail high. And, and that we usually see with territorial type behavior where yeah. they're like, stay away from, stay away from my space, stay away yeah. from my, my people or stay away from, you know, my bone. I'm guarding this. This is mine. Um, that that is that more forward motion is, tends to be a little bit more dangerous because um, obviously the dog is confident enough that they're they're actually confronting you. Um, 
But either one of those growls that are on either end of that spectrum tend to be the more the more dangerous situations. Um, Don, we've only got a couple of minutes left. I have a question for you about exposing kids to dogs because sometimes younger kids they kind of want to be playful with a dog but the dog doesn't always understand playfulness and it can be even things like slapping and and pinching and things like that is it your recommendation to not expose young dogs to kids or to do it in limited amount i mean talk a little bit about that but small puppies um, can be exposed to children because they generally are not going to ever hurt a child. Um, as a dog grows up, um, it's good to maintain what I call a, a nice um, um, zone between a young child, let's say an infant or a young toddler, and a dog so the dog learns to respect the space of that child a little bit. Um, it's also good to have a dog under control and reward them for being polite around the child um, so that they learn to, to um, be careful with them and not necessarily treat them like they would a, you know, a, a litter mate. You don't want the dog you know, wrestling with a child. I see a lot of dogs get really nervous with um, resident children when they start crawling as opposed to when they were an infant, when a dog... When a, Children start crawling. The dog starts going, what is going on? This thing never used to move, and now it's moving around, and it's very scary. Um, it's okay to separate dogs and children for periods of time while they're getting used to each other. So a lot of dating and um, X-pens and crates and stuff, knowing that if a dog is in an X-pen or a crate, the child is never supposed to bother or, you know, um, mess with a dog in those areas. Those are the where a dog can feel safe and and secure, and you just have to be there and be present and be um, very observant of what's going on. Well, Don, I'm afraid to say we have run out of time, but I want to thank you so much for coming on. We've been talking with Don Pisaferrato from Arrow Dog Training. And, Rick, I'm afraid we are just out of time. So on behalf of our producer, Laura Cassio, Rick Proust, my co-host in the studio, this is Lee Cohen, wishing all of you a great weekend, a great week ad. We'll talk next weekend on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. In the meantime, will you please, please take Good care of your pets. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hey, got some ideas for a show? Questions? Maybe suggestions? Just email us, mmpets at 1320wils.com or message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash mmpets.